sing out for the Lord and uh, let's just have church tonight. This Wednesday night, let's just have church tonight. Amen. Well, my mentor, Brother Lance Carpenter, that I spent so many years with, he always told me, he said, when Satan's fighting or you don't know what to do, just sing on the blood. And I've done it for 35 years. Amen. Let's turn our handles page 139. Years I spent in vanity and pride. Amen. But years I spent in vanity and pride. And
snow. Without a shadow of a doubt, you've been washed white as snow. Amen. When we get down there to snow, I want you to get you a big old deep breath, and we're going to hold it and just blow it in the devil's face. Amen. On the second, for my pardon, this I see nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this my plea, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the hope that makes me white as snow.
Give Brother David a, a minute to rest a little bit. We're going to take up the offering. Uh, can you get a water out of my office floor? Um, Brother Jody, Brother Kurt, you come. Let's take up the offering. And uh, while they're coming, uh, I'll just say this. And y'all just be just stand there for just a second. Uh, singing about that blood. And uh, <laughs> nothing but the blood. And then that fountain, there is a fountain. And I remember where we used to live, there was a, uh, there was a creek that ran behind our house. And it was fed by a spring. And that spring ran all year long. All year long. Didn't matter. Cold, hot, didn't matter what. But then there was another little spring head that came up, but it was it was just it was finicky. It only it only ran when the rain was heavy, and you you couldn't you couldn't depend on it, brother Jody. If you depended on it, you'd end up thirsting to death. But I, I would watch out my kitchen window, and I'd watch out my my sliding glass door window. You'd, you'd see deer down there at the creek. You'd see turkey down there at the creek. You'd see all kinds of things because that spring was constantly running. And that little creek, it ran the whole length of our property. It ran and filled a pond. It left that pond, Kurt, and it joined another little spring. And that creek ran plumb behind my parents' property. And not only that, but my parents moved in in, 2000, in 1999. But did you know that my mother's great-grandmother used to put her fresh churned butter and milk in that same creek? It's been running for that long. But do you know that that blood of Christ has been freely flowing for so many more years and for so many more people? And, and, and its reach has been so much further than just the one family that's owned that land over the last several decades. I'm thankful for the blood of Christ. I'm thankful for its depths that it can reach. I'm glad that for its cleansing powers. Brother Jody, you were filthy, dirty, wretched, and vile. But guess what? So was I. The same blood that reached down and cleaned you up is the same blood that cleaned me up. And it's the same blood that can clean you up tonight. Amen. Ah, good night of living. I, I about feel like preaching tonight, but I ain't going to. I praise the Lord tonight. Brother Kurt, won't you pray, ask a blessing on the offering, and then we'll take it up tonight. And, and we'll just kind of see where the service goes tonight. Amen. Go ahead. Lord, help us to give. Oh, yeah. Lord, with a joyful. 
service and that you will not, Lord, leave us without. And that it will be honoring to you, God, I pray, Lord, that you just stir our hearts tonight, Father. Again, bless this, Lord. Let it be for your work, for your honor, your glory. Let us give joyfully, God, not because yes. we feel like we need to or we have to, but because we want to. Because we want to take part, Lord, in the yes. work for you. God, I ask you to touch your man, Lord, as he Bring some message, Lord, that you have on his heart tonight. God, I pray you touch and prepare our hearts for it. God, we thank you and we pray for you. Give honor and glory for all that you'll do and what you have done. In Jesus' name we pray.
your Bibles ready tonight, and uh, while while he is getting wired up, uh, let's uh, let's pray before he comes, and uh, ask the Lord just to bless the man of God tonight. Dear Father, once again, we pray, Lord, that you touch your man. God, we thank you, Lord, for what you've done, Lord, in, in my heart, Lord, and I feel like in, in the hearts of your people, Lord, through the Word of God and Lord, by the voice of this man. And Father, we pray that you would touch him. I pray that you would give him unction, give him an anointing tonight, Mm -hmm. that he might preach the word of God boldly. Father, we pray that you would guide his thoughts. Lord, I pray that you would give him clarity of mind and of speech. Lord, give us the ears to hear. Let Let us be doers of the word of God and not hearers only. Father, we pray that you would prepare our hearts for the message. God, we give you the glory and the honor. And again, we pray that you'd bless your man tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right, well, it's good to be in God's house. Amen. I was thinking about that passage of Scripture in the book of Romans that said that, that when we compare, and I'm paraphrasing, but he says when we compare the suffering of this present world, he said it's not worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in the saints of God. Um, I was told when I was in college that that was an accountant's term. And, uh, and, and in, in, the accounting, in the accounting world, in, in the accounting world, depending on the size of a corporation or a company or the volume of money that flows through a particular organization, um, there's something they call immaterial pass, all right? So once we close down the books for the year and, uh, you know, we're we're three months past the closure or three weeks past the closure and we find an error, well, we're human, so those things happen. And so then there has to be a decision made by those that are in authority as to whether or not you reopen your books and restate your profit or loss. And so the the accounting world uses certain parameters, and I can remember when I was in the corporate world that if you found it a $2 million era, you might find a $2 million, now that's a lot of money to me, amen, but if you discovered a $2 million era, 
They call that immaterial pass. Immaterial pass. Because the company I worked for worked in billions of dollars. And, and, and $2 million was just a drop in the bucket compared to the size of the, of the business. And so it wasn't necessary. It didn't materially change the outcome. And so they called it immaterial pass. And that's what Paul was talking about. He said, when you gather up all the suffering of this life, all the troubles, the trials, the problems that you'll endure, that you'll suffer through, that you'll go through, he said, when you set that down compared to the glory of heaven, it's an immaterial pass. Hallelujah. Amen. Boy, I'm glad that's how good God is and how big what God has for us is. Amen. And I sure thank God for the mercy and for the grace of God that's been bestowed on us, that's brought us this far. And the songwriter knew well when John Newton penned the words, "'Twas grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me on." Amen? All right, I want you to find your place tonight, Psalms 57, if you would please. Psalms chapter number 57, that's my thought that I believe the Lord would have us to take a look at tonight for just a little while. I trust you'll pray for us and ask the Lord to help us. Let me say a Word of gratitude to the church. Thank you for your hospitality this week. And, uh, man, we've enjoyed uh, the good fellowship with you, um, with Brother Jamie and Miss Lori and their family. Thank you for the motel accommodations. You've just been very, very kind. Every meal that's been provided, the gifts that have been given, I certainly want to say thank you from the bottom, from the bottom of our heart. If you have not picked up a prayer card, there still should be some on the table in the foyer out that way and a little on the bookcase in this hallway here so please pick one of those up and take it with you we would certainly covet your prayers that you would remember our family um, in the days ahead and the work that God has given us to do Um, I will leave you in the morning fairly early Um, I'm headed actually to Samuel's home turf all right I'll be preaching at Morningstar tomorrow night and Friday night and Sunday morning and then Lexington North Carolina On Sunday night, I'm unscheduled next week. I am filling in for my pastor on Wednesday night, and then we'll be off to Spring City, Tennessee, White Pine, Pine, Tennessee. And then 6th of October, we leave for Scotland, and I have a six-day meeting in Scotland. Uh, And then we will be, I'll, I'll take the train from Scotland back to England, and then I have two weeks of meetings in England. The first week is in Corby, England with Brother Roger Tooley at LifeGate Baptist Church, and then we'll move from there about an hour and 15 minutes to Birmingham, uh, not Birmingham, that's in Alabama, it's Birmingham, you got to just say it, kind of slur it all together. By the way, I have to have a translator in England, <laughs> they don't understand hick, <laughs> and uh, what was that you said, <laughs> you know, uh, and so uh, anyway, I'll be, preaching in, uh, I'll be preaching there at Bethel Free Baptist Church. Uh, that's not that's not uh, free will Baptist. That's uh, non-Southern or non-Union, non-Baptist Union. It just means independent there. And so I'll be with Brother Larry Curtis there at Birmingham um, for the second week of meeting before we come back home. Uh, North Carolina, Alabama, and three weeks in Tennessee will find us for November. Uh, and uh, then an assortment of meetings in December. We're going back to England in December. We're taking a group. Um, there'll be 21, counting myself, that'll be going over for the purpose primarily of letterboxing for three days, still working some logistics out. 
Letterboxing is just what it sounds like, all right? And so in England, um, they still walk the mail routes, and uh, they have slots in the door, and the mailman sticks the mail through the slot in the door. They don't have boxes on poles at the end of the driveway, because most of them don't have a driveway anyway. And so the mailman literally just walked those routes. Well, unlike the states where it's illegal for you to put something in a mailbox, that's a federal offense, gets you in big trouble. Over there, it's not only legal, but it's accepted and sort of practiced on a regular basis. So um, we will we will actually, I don't know what the goal's going to be. I, I, I had said it a little bit low. We, we're taking 10,000 John enrollments um, that have been custom designed for this particular church. And uh, I asked Brother Curtis, I said, how many of those do you think we'll actually get out? And I'm thinking maybe 1,500 a day, so maybe 5,000 in a three-day window with that many of us. And he said, oh, dear brother, he said, uh, we normally calculate 200 per person per day when we're, when we're going to work and uh, do letterboxing. He said, uh, the houses are so, you get in one block and you might have 40 houses that you would walk to in that 40 block, you know, in that one block section. So, uh, and it just stretches for miles, all right? So it's a huge city. And so we're excited about that. We'll be trying to show them some things. You were singing um, William Cowper's, we say Cowper, they say Cooper. You're singing William Cowper's song there, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. William Cowper lived in Olney, England, and uh, I'll uh, take our team there while we're there. They'll get to visit his house as long as it's open in December and they go through where William Cowper wrote many of those songs. Not necessarily there is a fountain, but he wrote a lot of different things in his day. Um, but he had a companion that lived about three blocks from him. They were close friends, and they often wrote some things together, though we don't usually know that. That other man's name was John Newton, and he's buried there in Olney. He pastored there in Olney. And, uh, and so uh, we'll be there in Olney. We'll take them down and show them Newton's church, and they'll get to see the tomb. Uh, that's out back of the church there. Uh, I wish we could show them the little Baptist church that influenced those two men because even though they were both Church of England and there was doctrinal differences, their theology was pretty much shaped by a little unknown Baptist pastor that pastored there in Olney. And he had another mentor that came, or another follower, rather, I should say, that came out from its ranks. Um, you might have heard of him, too. His name was William Carey. And he became the father of modern-day missions. And so we don't know what that man's name is. History has failed to record it. But I promise you, God hasn't failed to remember it. Amen? And so sometimes we have to be reminded that though we be small, God's doing something big. So please pray for us about those two trips that will take us out of the country about 35 days or so, 33 days um, between now and the end of the year. And then 2024, we're lining up. Several trips, we've got to Honduras in January, we're looking to be in Uganda in late April and for a little while into May. Um, really that one, my problem is I'm having to tell them how, I, that I can't stay as long as they want me to stay because they'd like for me to stay several weeks and I'm not going to be able to do that. And then uh, we're looking at Ghana in August, we have three weeks that we will schedule sometime in the western United States throughout the summer and early fall and then we very well, I've had a lot of inquiries about going back to Scotland with another letterboxing team, and uh, we may very well do that as well. So if you want to get in on a letterboxing team, you need to give me your name and let me send you the information. I'll be glad to let you tag along. We'll put you to work, all right? And uh, so do pray for us about those trips and about the ministry there. 
that the Lord would open up our doors for us to have a part of. Psalms 57, Psalms 57, to appreciate what God's done in the services in these days, we have felt the presence of the Lord consistently in the four services that we've had together and tonight as well, and I sure rejoice in that, and I rejoice that God continues to have a lighthouse, amen, right here on the side of the highway in South Georgia, I'm telling, trying as best you know how to shine the light of the gospel to people that are stumbling and staggering in the darkness of sin. And I'm glad God still has people that are interested in the souls of men. Amen. All right, Psalms 57. I want to read the entire chapter. It's a brief chapter. And then that we're just going to drop in, probably just hit some highlights tonight, but I feel like it's where the Lord would have us to be. Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me. For my soul trusteth in thee, yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up, Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions, and I lie even among them that are set on fire. Even the sons of men, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. Be thy exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dig the pit before me into the midst whereof they are fallen themselves. Selah, my heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Awake up, my glory. Awake, psaltery and heart. I myself will awake early. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the nations, for thy mercy is great unto the heavens, and thy truth unto the clouds. Be thy exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. Now, I want you to look with me just for a quick moment back in, uh, in the Scripture here at the, at the reference position that is identified after the chapter is given to us, Psalms 57, you'll notice that the Bible said this song was written to the chief musician, uh, musician, and 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 it identifies him there, uh, the musician, uh, musician, musician of David. But I'm interested in the last expression in this phrase. The Bible said, "When he fled from Saul in the cave." Now that's important because. That little expression, when he fled from Saul in the cave, is going to give us the environment in which David would write these words, and it'll give us an insight, perhaps, into what might have been in his mind when he was writing and penning these great truths in Psalms chapter number 57. Now, we know that that would take us to 1 Samuel chapter number 22 and and the cave that he most likely is speaking of is the cave of Adullam. And, and it was in that cave that David would hide and, and take cover and refuge during the, uh, during the pursuit of Saul. When Saul had set his face against David and, and really, to be honest about it, had, had, had unleashed the armies of Israel. Man, I'm telling you, he was a, wanted man and, and and there was a bounty on his head and 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 Saul wanted David dead and so David flees and he hides uh, and he runs to this cave and there's a lot of things that take place 
in the cave of Adullam, but 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 the Bible said, and that's what David is drawing from, and we'll talk about these things that are taking place in his life, but David comes down in the midst of all of these problems that he's facing, in the midst of all of these trials that he's going through, these these troubles that are in his life, and I want you to notice with me that David makes a solemn statement in verse number 7, and that'll be my theme tonight for preaching, but David concludes, despite all of the things that are going on in his life, he said, my heart is fixed. Oh God, my heart is fixed. And then he said, because my heart is fixed, I will sing and give praise. Amen. And I want to use that tonight. If I had a little title, I'd like to preach on this thought, the favor of a fixed heart. Amen. The favor of a fixed heart. Every time I mention that, I I think about that term fixed, and it refers to stability, and it reminds us of steadfastness and sureness. and, And really, it just means something you can count on, something that is dependable, something that will not be moved. Amen. And there's always contrast drawn in the pages of the Word of God. I think about the New Testament where it talks about those that are carried about by every wind of doctrine. Amen. And uh, you know folks like that. You probably have a family member or a friend or an acquaintance that that you know like that. They're always about the newest thing. Say amen right there. And uh, if somebody comes to town and and, uh, throws together a quote-unquote church and there's a different sparkle or a different shine. They're the first ones in line. Amen. And God doesn't want us like that. He doesn't want us unsettled in our theology or unsettled in our doctrine. He wants us to be steadfast. And really, we have to, listen, doctrine is put to the test when the trial comes. Amen. And, and our faith is challenged when the difficulties arise in the midst of our lives. And David said, Man, I'm in some of the darkest times of my life that I've ever known. And yet I'm making a determination that despite these things that are transpiring around me, things that are changing, if I would say, around me, he said, my heart is fixed. Amen. Amen. And uh, and and then I thought about, was it uh, the psalmist said this? He said, we ought to be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water, and it bringeth forth its fruit in its season, and its leaf doesn't wither, amen. And it and, and, and it, listen, it's something you can count on despite the circumstances that are around us. God is looking for us as his people to be that kind of Christian, steadfast, uh, and, uh, and as he says, always abounding in the work of the Lord, the favor of a fixed heart. Now, I notice when I look at this psalm tonight that David uh, is going to do two things. One, uh, he's going to spend some time with us and he's going to tell us about how he depends on God uh, in the midst of his difficulties. Amen. He's not ashamed nor is he afraid to name those difficulties, right? He doesn't hide them. He doesn't act like they don't exist uh, He acknowledges their existence, but he's going to remind us that despite these difficulties that he has found, uh, that he can trust in God. He can depend uh, 
on God. And then after he walks through these trials and through these troubles, uh, uh, he's going to make a declaration. Uh, uh, he's going to make a declaration of his devotion, uh, of his dedication to uh, the God that, that has helped him uh, in the midst of the troubles and the trials that he's come to face. Amen. Now, may I say to you, those of us that's been through a storm or a trial, uh, uh, we ought to be the ones that run to him more often than the others because we already know uh, that God is more than able and more than willing uh, uh, to take care of us in the midst of those difficulties. Uh, Now, the thing that I notice in Psalms 57 that is interesting to me is that David runs two rails. One rail is what I'll refer to as a physical rail. He's going to talk about three distinct problems in his life, and they are very physical problems. I I mean by that you can reach out and touch them. They, they've got names. Amen. Yeah, Pain exists and problems exist, and and they're not a figment of his mind. They're not a playmate of his imagination. They're not something he dreamed up in the midst of his depression and despair, but they are legitimate, real, physical things that, that David is having to contend with. I just thought I might start off tonight by reminding you and I we're in the flesh. Amen. And there's some physical things uh, that we're going to have to contend with. That's the first rail. But in the same passages of Scripture where David is identifying these physical difficulties and his dependency on God in the midst of them, there is a second rail that is evident or obvious, and that is what I call the spiritual rail that he's running on. And I mean by that, even though he is having a conversation with God, I want you to notice something. In verse number 1, David will talk about the storms of his life. But in the midst of his storms, he will refer to his soul. As you'll see, he said, For my soul trusteth in thee. In in verse number 3, in verse number 4 rather, excuse me, in verse number 4, uh, he is talking about his soul, there's the spiritual, being among lions. But he says these lions that are set on fire are the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. So the men are real, they're physical, but you'll see the soul, the spiritual, plays a role in the saint. And we can go forward. You'll notice in verse number 6, They prepared a net for my steps. The net is real. But you'll notice my soul, that's the spiritual side, is bowed down. So I think David would like for us, the Holy Ghost would want us to understand that there is a connection in your life between the physical and the spiritual. I think sometimes we deny that, but Paul would not have denied that. He would have explained that as he does for us in the seventh chapter of the book of Romans. And so David is reminding us that there is a connection, an unbreakable connection between the physical and the spiritual. When you're struggling physically, you'll not, you'll always understand that it affects you spiritually. Yeah. And by the way, it works the other way as well. When you are struggling spiritually, 
Uh, you'll find that it often exposes itself in physical troubles, physical difficulties, uh, uh, because they cannot be separated. You see, God made man a trinity as God is. He's made in the image of God. It doesn't mean you have God's nose. Uh, doesn't mean you have God's eyes, uh, but it means that you're a trinity as he is a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Man is a trinity for he is body. That's the physical soul. That's the spiritual and spirit, body, soul, and spirit. Spirit's what separates you from the animal kingdom, amen, and it gives you a consciousness and a awareness. And so, and so we're reminded, we're reminded in the text that we must contend with both the physical and the spiritual. Let's notice David's difficulties and his dependency upon God for just a moment or two. The first one in verse number one is a calamity. That's the scripture's word. He said, be merciful, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. Now, if you get a good dictionary and you look up that word calamity and you'll find that one of the thoughts with that definition is this. Uh, it refers to things that are out of our control. Uh, it often refers to that of a natural phenomenon. Amen. Uh, and, and we almost could have experienced that tonight. I, I, I suspect where you live tonight, as you started getting ready for church, you noticed the dark clouds had gathered uh, and the wind was blowing, the lightning was flashing, maybe a little thunder in the distance, uh, because a storm had come uh, on the horizon of your life. Uh, uh, can I ask you a question? Did any of y'all do anything to deserve that storm? Uh, uh, did something happen in your life today where it prompted the storm to come into your life? No, and, 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 and there's nothing you can do about it. Amen. It's a natural phenomenon that comes, and yet... It is a real problem in your life. May I say, in every life, every child of God, uh, there will be days when calamities uh, are going to come in your life. Amen. Uh, but, but what made David depend on God? He said in verse number 1, it's very clear. He said, uh, I, I, I will take my refuge under the shadow of your wings until these calamities be overpassed. Here's what he learned. Uh, David could trust God in his storm uh, because of his salvation. Uh, you see, that's what the scripture starts with. My soul trusteth. In the, be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. You know what David said? I don't know how bad the storm's going to get. I don't know how hard the wind's going to blow. I don't know how torrential the rainfall's going to be or how damning the flood's going to be. But he said, despite the storm... I still have salvation. My soul is secure in thee. Can I tell you? Here's what David said. I'm trying to help us now. In the midst of a physical calamity, you, you describe it any way you want it. A tragedy that comes in your life, some, some trial that comes in your life, some problem that comes in your life, the way that you're going to survive that difficulty in your life 
is to know that you know that you know uh, that you're saved uh, by the grace of God. Amen. If your soul is steadfast and secure uh, and you know without a doubt that you're saved, uh, then it doesn't matter what's on the horizon. It'll be all right. Amen. Because what's the worst that can happen? A door opens and you get to go to heaven. Amen. Amen. Somebody said that's the worst the devil can offer. Amen. It's a doorway to heaven. And, and none of us want to die. We're not saying that. We don't have that masochistic viewpoint. Uh, uh, but I'm telling you that David understood that I trusted God with eternity. I can trust Him with today. Uh, Hallelujah. Amen. We trusted God took care of our past. And that's why we rejoice that we're not what we used to be. But we've been washed in the blood of the darling Son of God. Hey, if we can trust Him with our past and we can trust Him with our future, uh, then surely we can trust Him for today. Amen. Even if it's a storm, a calamity, salvation is the foundation uh, of the soul. Say amen right there. And so number two, I'm talking about David depending on God in the storm. He said, first I'm saved. And then number two, he talks about God's ability to provide him security in the midst of the storm. I, I like verse number one. Amen. He said, yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge. How long do you get to stay? Until these calamities uh, be overpassed. Amen. Uh, hey, can I tell you, David was in a storm, but he wouldn't trust in the cave. Amen. He is hiding out in the cave. Uh, but, but, but it was at the cave that was securing him against his adversaries. Uh, uh, it was the hand of God in his life. I'm telling you, not only can you rest in the fact that God saved your soul, but you can rest in the fact He's God. Uh, and He's big enough uh, to have His way in the whirlwind uh, and in the storm. Amen. And, 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 and God said, just run to me. Just come to me uh, and take your refuge in me. Amen. And I will secure you. So David said, I trust God uh, in the calamity of my storm because I'm saved, because He's big enough enough to secure me. And then in verse number two, he said, and because God's able to sustain me. Yeah. Look what he said. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. I, that helps me. Amen. Boy, I'm going to tell you, we try to do it on our own. We try to accomplish it on our own. Uh, but the scriptures are plain. David said, I may be a man of war, but I can't defend myself against the army of Israel. Uh, I may be a man of integrity, but I cannot defend myself against King Saul. Uh, I may be a man of resources, but I have not enough resources to protect me from the adversary that is pursuing me. But he said, God can. Uh, and he said, so God has to uh, perform all things for me. Let me throw this one into it. He doeth all things well. Amen. 
Amen. Why, he never makes a mistake. Amen. And one man said so wisely, God loves you too much to do you wrong, and he's too wise to make a mistake. And if he can't make a mistake and he's not out to hurt you, then you can rest in the sustaining power of the God that you serve. So our heart is fixed in the midst of a storm because our soul is saved. Because God is securing us and God is sustaining us. Then I want you to notice, second of all, in verse number 3 and 4, David talks about the second issue, the second difficulty in his life. And, and, and this one's more interesting than the storm because, uh, well, you can predict the storm. You can see it on the radar. You can see it approaching. But David said these are hidden things uh, like lions that are in tall grasses uh, waiting to pounce on their prey. But let's get it into identified. In verse number 3, he shall send from heaven and save me. Now, i got to tell you, it's pretty good that David identified the fix before he identified the problem. Amen. Amen. I'm going to preach a couple minutes on the problem. David knew there's a problem, but he said, I want you to know that I have confidence in God. He shall send from heaven and save me. Now, here's the problem he's facing. From the reproach of him that would swallow me up, Selah. He said, stop and think about that. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. Now, he's going, to, he's going to paint us a picture in verse number 4. Eh? He said, My soul is among lions, and I lie even among them that are set on fire. But, 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 so he paints the picture. You see the, you see the imagery. There's the lions and the tall grasses of the plain. Here's a little small animal, some, some, uh, some small one that's wandered away from its herd or its flock or whatever the case might be. And, 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 and there he, there's that little animal in the midst of those grasses. Its senses are on wide alert. Its, its nose is quivering. Its body is shaking because it smells the line. It hears the line, but it can't see the line. And so is it coming from in front of me or is it coming from behind me? It's not sure. Amen. And that's the picture that David paints for us. But the problem is this. David faced a storm in verses 1 and 2. But he's facing slander in verses 3 and 4. Somebody has set about the business of attacking his reputation and attempting to destroy his integrity. You see, that's what he says in verse number 3. He shall sin from heaven. God's going to have to save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Amen. Now, let's think about the circumstances. Remember, David's told us, right? He's told us that he's hiding from Saul in the cave of Abram, 1 Samuel 22. We know the story. And as David is in that cave, let's think about it. Did David ever raise his hand against Saul? Was he an enemy of the nation? Was he an enemy of Saul? Did he ever speak poorly of Saul? Did he ever attempt to do anything to harm Saul or to usurp the authority or was disloyal to Saul? We know the answer to that because we have a Bible record. 
He never did. He never was. But wait a minute. That's precisely what Saul has accused him of. He's accused him of being disloyal, of being dishonest, of trying to take the throne. Amen. He's going to take the throne. Amen. And ain't nothing Saul can do about it. And Saul's known it for 38 years. Study that sometimes. Do you know that Saul reigned over Israel 40 years and God told him in the second year of his reign it was not going to exceed any past his life? He said, when you're dead, your kids don't get it. For 38 years he ruled knowing that another would take his place. And so there's an animosity in Saul. There's anger. There's jealousy. There's all kinds of things we can talk about in the life of Saul, and you know that. But he's out to get David, and he is accusing him unjustly. He's attempting to destroy his reputation. Here's what David said. I can't do nothing about it. It is beyond my ability to defend myself. Now, Where's the soul come into play? You'll see it. It's in verse number four. And David said it's his soul that is among lions. Now, what is that spiritual picture that David's talking about? Here's what he's teaching you and I. Here's what he's showing you and I in verse number four. The world attacks you because of your faith. The Bible said we're not to suffer as an evildoer. If our deeds or actions or attitudes causes people to have a uh, uh, be out to get us, for lack of a better word, amen, then we're the one at fault. Amen. I should have got a little amen out of that. Amen. We're liable for ourselves if we act in such a fashion that brings that reproach upon us. But David's not talking about that type of situation. He said, they're attacking me because of my integrity. They're against me because of my faith. And, and, and i got to be honest. As Americans, we know little about persecution. And to, be, and to be honest, I think most of the time we think that being laughed at is persecution. Right? When men have died for the cause of Christ. Amen. And I'm going to tell you something. You are light in darkness. And, 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 and we ought to, I'm just persuaded, we ought to get such a boldness about us that we are willing to take that light into their darkness understanding the consequences and not fearing it, they are going to come against you. Amen. Amen. They are going to come against you at some point. And the way the world operates is they try to destroy your integrity. They try to bring down your character. They make accusation that is not true. And you'll notice in verse number 4 that David elaborates on the condition of these men. He said that they, he said, uh, he said, uh, I lie even among them that are set on fire. So that speaks about their anger. Then he reminds us that they're the sons of men. So we're not talking about some supernatural force. We're talking about flesh and blood. All right. And then he said, how are they going to attack us? (laughs) What is going to be the means of their attack on the child of God? He said, they're going to use their teeth and their tongue. Amen. What do you say? They're going to run their mouth. You may not ever face persecution where they're throwing something at you or imprisoning you or putting you in jail or trying to take your life as some before you have. But, 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 but there will come a time if you stand for God and you live for God that there will come a time when they will set about to physically destroy you with the words of their mouth. Amen. 
So we see the reason. It's my soul. It's a spiritual battle. We see the reproach. They want to destroy your influence. They want to, they want to end your ability to see others come to Christ. If they can make your words of no reputation, then you have no means whereby to testify or to witness to somebody. I helped a, I helped a young man in Uganda, and they have strange courtship rituals in Uganda, okay? And they even have stranger marriage situations in Uganda. They still practice the diary, ladies. And uh, the problem in this situation was that James is 38 years of age. He's never married. He's kept himself clean and pure, which is very rare. But the tribe demands that he pay the dowry for the woman he wants to marry. And, and she's, she's worth three cows and five goats. Y'all are laughing. I'm glad you're laughing. Amen. Sometimes ladies look at me and they get red-faced. <laughs> Smoke comes out their ears. Amen. But that, that was literally it. Three cows and five goats would cost Brother James Kalula $1,100 U.S. dollars. He makes $150 a week, a month. That's all he makes, $150 a month. That's a living wage in Uganda. $150 a month is what he makes. And yet the tribe demands of him $1,100 in diary and about another six or $800 in what we would have called peripherals, just little things that he has to do so that he can marry this woman. And, and, uh, and, and I asked the missionary, I said to the missionary, here's what I'm trying to get to. I'm not telling you some story so... You daddies are off there, y'all thinking, hmm, might better fence in my pasture. <laughs> get some new cows, amen? But, but, and some of you boys are thinking about, where do I get goats? <laughs> I don't know anybody that sells goats. No, anyway. And, uh, and, 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 and so I said to the missionary, I said, this is tribal, and it's cultural, and it's not in the Bible. And, 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 and in fact, when James and Joyce got married, he, he met the tribal requirements in a seven-hour celebration. Can you all imagine? <laughs> I saw video clips of it, and he wanted me to be there. I was kind of glad I wasn't. Somebody say amen right now. But then they turn around, and they have a church ceremony. So they want to recognize it in the presence of God. And I asked the missionary, I said, why do they still do this? Why, why doesn't he just go down and... And, and pay the legal fees so there's a legal contract to marriage and then come to the church and y'all marry them. And this is what he said. He said, if James does that, if James does that, he would, he might as well leave town because there, nobody would respect him. His influence, now he's a preacher and a pastor is fixing to start a new church plant. His influence would have been destroyed had he gone against that? Oh, by the way, in Uganda, if the father of the bride agrees to finance the diary for you, in other words, make, let you make payments over time, <laughs> y'all not going to believe this. Y'all won't believe me if I, but I'm telling you the honest truth. And he stops making payments, the daddy can reaper, re, he can, uh, he can uh, go get the daughter, repossess the daughter. <laughs> I'm not making that up. That's law. I mean, I'm talking about law. Amen. Go, go back and get her, man. <laughs> uh, anyway, I better go on. But, but it, it's a matter. Here's what the devil's out to destroy in your life. He's out to destroy your ability to influence somebody for Christ. Now, you can't do anything about that except for live godly and righteously and do the best you know how to do. But there is a remedy. 
And the remedy is in the text. And the Bible said, God shall send from heaven. <laughs> Amen. And he shall save me. It's got to come from heaven. Your help's got to come from God. And he said that the help that you're going to get is in the end of verse number 3. He's going to send his mercy and his truth. Amen. Because the best way to divert, to, the, the best way to deflect that the, the lie of the enemy is to be confronted with the truth of the Lord. But here's the key. You just have to wait on it until God does what God's going to do. Amen. Let me give you the third difficulty. He said there's a storm in verses 1 and 2. There's slander in verses 3 and 4. But then I want you to go to verse number 6 with me. And let's talk about the snare. The Bible said they have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have digged the pit before me into the midst where they are fallen themselves. Selah. Here's what David said. I want you to understand something. There is a difference in a snare and a sin. Right? There's a difference. And, 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 and the pit, the Bible said they dug a pit. And he said, that pit represents, are you listening to me, the act of sin, all right? Put it in some simple terminology. The pit is, is, is drinking the alcohol. The pit is smoking the joint. The pit is engaging in the promiscuous behavior. Are you listening to me? That's the pit. And he said, they dug a pit. Now, this is interesting very worth saying. We've got a good number of young people in here. Let me say it to you real quickly. The Bible said the ones that dug the pit are already in the pit. Amen. Amen. I don't know what prompted the conversation of the day at my house, or at my, my mom and dad's house, I should say. But my, my father, my dad, was talking about his, my mother's daddy was, uh, was known for digging wells in his day. Now, for the life of me, granddaddy was six foot four. And uh, tall, skinny, and lanky. And I don't know how in the world. I mean, we're talking about hand dug wells, Eric. I mean, hand dug wells. Had to go down in that thing. And, and you know, they use a little short shovel and a little short spade and, and a, and a five-gallon bucket, and you haul the dirt up. And he is known for digging wells. And I guess my daddy helped him some in his younger years, and it come to that conversation. And, and, uh, and, and he's talking to Will about it. And he said, Will, would you go down in a well? And Will said, nope. But you can't dig a well, you can't dig a pit unless you're down in the well or down in the pit. And he said, and he said, the one that's trying to get you to commit the sin has already committed the sin. Huh? One's trying to get you to get another drink at the bar is already hooked on the alcohol. The one's trying to get you to pop the pills already involved in the addiction. The one that's uh, trying to get you to act promiscuously has already lost their purity. Are you listening to me? And, and so he says to us, he said, they dug a pit, that's the sin, and they're in the pit, and they're trying to pull us into the pit. Now, here's where we got to understand. He said, so they put a net out, right? The net is a temptation. It is a snare. It's not the act, right? But what he said was, they put a net out there, and they caught my feet foot. You want to put it in some terminology we can understand? They got you to look where you shouldn't have looked. They got you to smell what you shouldn't have smelled. 
They might have got you to touch what you shouldn't have touched. And you've not gone all the way, quote unquote. You've not committed the sin. You've not broke the law of God, but you got your foot hung in it. And, and guess what they're doing? They're pulling on that foot. They're in the hole and they've got your foot in a snare and they're trying to pull you toward the, the pit. Well, I, I mean, most of us at some point in our childhood played some, some degree or some version of King of the Hill. Amen. And, uh, and listen to me. The one on the top is always the one at the disadvantage of getting pulled off by the ones that are at the bottom. Amen. And David said, they've got my foot in a snare and they're trying to pull me toward the pit. David said, I was tempted. I looked where I shouldn't have looked. Let me give you a Dwayneology on that. Can I do that for a couple of minutes? Remember the circumstances of our text. He's running from Saul and he's hid out in the cave of Adullam. Do you remember what happened in that cave while David's in there? Saul come in to rest. While Saul was sound asleep, he could have taken the life of his enemy. The only problem was David didn't see Saul as an enemy. Saul saw David as an enemy. And he had the sword in his hand. He had the instrument whereby he could have easily taken the life of Saul. By the way, David is already knowing he's going to be king. He was anointed when he was a boy. He knows he's going to be king. I don't know. I'm just telling you, Brother David, I don't know that I'd have had the patience of David. <laughs> I might would have cut the old fellow's hair all, head off and took his hand and my, wrapped it, my hand in his hair and walked out and said, I took care of this one. Now I'm your king. Huh? He already knew that's where God had him coming to. Anytime you try to take over the will of God and make it happen in your life, you'll fail every time. You see, that's what Moses did when he was 40 years of age. He already knew he was going to be the deliverer of the people of God. He just thought he was going to do it politically. He was going to become the next Pharaoh, and he was going to be able to release those people. He knew he was going to be their savior, but he tried to speed the process up. And so he saw an Egyptian whooping up on a Hebrew, and he killed the Egyptian. And he had to leave town. And God's got a will, but God will perform his will in his time. When you and I get in the way of that, we get in trouble. And so David, no doubt, was tempted. He's snared. I mean, his enemy is asleep. He's close enough to cut off a piece of his clothing. And he's got the sword in his hand. And he knows he's going to be king. I'd say that's a pretty big temptation. Amen. And he said, but when I was tempted, look at the text. I found my help of deliverance when my soul was bowed down. In our first calamity, he could build on the foundation his soul is saved. In the second trouble, when the slander comes, he said, it's because of my soul. But when he comes to the third one, the remedy that he finds in his problem is not on the outside. It's not in the self-help section of the bookstore or at Walmart. But the help that he needs to overcome the temptation is on the inside. It's his spiritual man. And I love it. It's football season. And that term bowed down is the, in a Georgia analogy, it means hunkered down. Right? 
I mean, the idea is you've assumed the position of resistance. <laughs> Amen. And, and, and he said, my flesh is probably pretty weak when it comes to resisting the temptation to take the head of my enemy off and seemingly end my troubles. But he said, there's something inside of me, the spiritual man inside of me, the soul inside of me, the Holy Ghost inside of me is in a position of resistance. And while the enemy is pulling me toward the pit, there is something pulling me back from the pit. I sure am grateful we'd be in a mess tonight. We'd go back to what we were before we were saved and a thousand times worse if it wasn't for the constraining power of the Holy Ghost of God that operates inside of us. How many times in a day does the Holy Ghost speak up in your heart and say, don't look over there. Don't go over there. Get out of there. Amen. Why? Because there's a resistance to the adversary. There's help from the Holy Ghost. Amen. When we're snared, our soul is the answer. And so David concludes in the midst of that. He said, my heart is fixed. And he makes a declaration of his dedication. I'm going to hit it quickly and we'll go to the house. Number one, he magnifies the source of his help. He understands over and over again, that God is His help. Let's just notice verse 1, be merciful unto me, O God. Verse number 2, I'll cry unto God. Verse number 3, God shall send forth His mercy and truth. Verse number 5, be thou exalted, O God. Verse number 7, my heart is fixed, O God. Verse number 9, I will praise Thee, O Lord. Verse number 11, be thou exalted, O God. How about that? He never missed a beat. But if you're looking on the inside, if you're looking to yourself, if you're lifting yourself up by your bootstraps, you're going to be badly defeated. But you can acknowledge your help comes from above. My help is from God. What a God He is. You'll notice His position is identified in verse number 2. He's most high. <laughs> now verse 2 is interesting. He said, I'll cry unto God most high. What He means in verse number 2, or what He says to us in verse number 2, Brother Samuel is, I will plead my case to God. And He acknowledges He's the final court. <laughs> Amen. I mean, listen, if you have a case... You go through the local courts and the state courts and the federal court system, and for some reason you're accepted to be heard in the Supreme Court of the United States. There's nowhere else to go. I mean, you've reached the highest pinnacle of the court system. This is the highest place that your case can be cried to. And David said, I'm going straight to the top. I'll make my case before the God of heaven. He is the final authority. Then he said in verse number 5, notice his praiseworthiness, he said. He said in verse 5, he said, Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. As in Isaiah 6, he said, I saw so the Lord high and lifted up. Lifted up. High is the elevation. But lifted up is how he reached that elevation. You understand there is a verb, lifted up. He's lifted up because he, he's elevated, he's honored, and he's praised on the shoulders of those he has been everything to. It is us that has exalted him. He's praiseworthy. His position, his performance, he acts in mercy. 
Verse 1, he said, be merciful unto me in the storm. Verse number 3, have mercy on me when men are slandering me. Verse number 10, he's talking about his sin. He said, for thy mercy is great unto the heavens and thy truth unto the clouds. He said, I just can't get past the mercies of God. Notice his power is identified. There's a strong dwelling in the storm. You can count on the strength of his wings. There's a strong deliverer in the slander. And there's a strong defense in the snare. You're all right when you're in the hands of God. David said, my help comes from him. Then he magnifies the service he will render. Last night of our meeting, I reckon, final hour that we have together, God would remind us again that because of what he's done for us, there's something he expects us to do for him. Notice his distinction. Verse number seven, he's fixed. Now, I'm going to give you real deep, deep, deep. We, 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 we can look at Hebrew, study, study, study Israeli history and, and Jewish culture and custom. I'm going to give you a real super deep, Super deep insight into the distinction of verse number seven. He said, my heart's fixed. Are you ready? Brother Kurt, you know what fixed is? Not broke. Yeah, so you thought I was going to give you something a little deeper than that. He said, it's not broke. My heart is fixed. That word fixed kind of implies it used to be broke. <laughs> Had a 1999 Suburban we drove for 300,000 miles. And uh, I went through five radiators. Oh, plastic Chinese junk. I'm sorry, I'm not supposed to say that. Y'all live stream, get me in trouble, hey, amen. And they just they just bust. Well, I mean, what do you do to mess up a radiator? I mean, it wasn't me. And uh, I, went through, I went through radiators. Well, I'd had a radiator put in. Seemed like we put it in somewhere, man. Might have been the one me and David Carver put in. And we put that radiator in. We got where it was pretty good. There was five hoses. About 35, 40 minutes. You had to drop one out, drop one right back in, going down the road. And, uh, and, and I, I, got, I think I went by my parents or something. And, and one of the attachments, one of the fittings was leaking. My dad's not a mechanic. I said, Dad, what do you think about it? And he said, I don't know. He said, all I can tell you, he said, he said let's do something to it. We, we took that fitting loose. And we put some Teflon tape on it. I mean, heavy-duty redneck, you know, plumbing. We screwed the nut back on, tightened it real carefully, gentle, turned the engine on, let it run 45 minutes, didn't leak. My daddy said, said, now I'll tell you what I'd do. He said, I'd make sure I'd go by the radiator shop or the mechanic shop. He said, I'd get somebody to check it. He said, maybe they do something. Maybe it's got a bad fit. And, you know, Dad's just sort of speculating the worst end of that thing. And right down the road from my house, there's a guy that worked on radiators in those days. I think he's retired now. But I was pulled in his yard. He's got a little old shop outside it. He'd come out there. He's an older fellow. He'd come out there. So what can I help you with? And I said, well, I had a radiator put in, and I had a fitting loose or leaking or seeping or whatever you want to call it. And I said, uh, I've done the best I know how to do with it. Me and my daddy put some Teflon tape on it, and we tried to patch it up, and, and, and we're trying to make sure it's all right. He popped the hood. Got out an old dirty handkerchief out of his pocket, wiped around that fitting, picked it up and looked at it, took his fingers and reached around there and touched that fitting. 
and, 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 and looked at the ends of his fingers and he said, it's not leaking. I said, what do you think I ought to do? And he said, nothing. It's not broke. <laughs> he said, it's well enough. Leave well enough alone. I just thought I'd let you in. I'm not what I used to be. I'm not lost like I used to be. I'm not in despair like I used to be. I'm not in sin like I used to be. My heart's not broke like it used to be. There's a distinction about the child of God. He's fixed. We're different. Don't be afraid to be different. We ought to have a different viewpoint. We have different values. We have a different vision of the the future. And we define victory differently. Amen. We're different and be proud of your distinction. Don't you notice his determination? In verse number 7, he uses this strong expression, I will. Brother Nathan, he doesn't say maybe I might. If things are right, I might. If they fit my fancy, I might. But he said, I will sing and give praise. There ought to be a determination in the Christian life. We're going to serve God. Amen. I will sing and give praise. By the way, in the Old Testament, particularly in the Psalms, when you, when you hear them talking about singing, very often you can, uh, you, can, uh, uh, you can associate that with the subject of work or labor. All right? But when you see them talk about praise, they're talking about worship. All right? So one is what you do for God, and the other is your attitude toward God. And notice the text, I will sing, I'll work for God. But he said, I'll give praise. I'll worship God. Amen. And we ought to be determined. And, and, and you'll notice in the text, first of all, he said, I'm going to give God my totality. Look at the next phrase, verse number 8. Wake, awake, awake up my glory. Now, wait a minute. He wasn't talking about God. He's talking about himself. He's talking about what he is, who he is, his essence, his everything. He said, whatever I am, whatever I ever hope to be, I'm going to give it to God. And then he said, awake psaltery and harp. Those are instruments of music. So he said, not only will God get my totality, but God will get my talents. Y'all all right? I will give my talents to God. But wait, he's not done. Don't like the last one. You teenagers don't like the last one. Even us adults, until you get old and you can't sleep, don't like the last one. He said, I myself will awake, oh, there's that dirty word, early. Yeah, that got a smile out of some anyway, amen. not going to lay in the bed. I'm going to get up early. What's that talking about? Time. He said, I'll give God my total self. I'll give God my talents. I'll give God my time. I will do what I can to worship him because he deserves it. You'll notice his devotion in verse 9. He said, I'll praise him among the people. The easiest place you'll ever be to be devoted to God's within the confines of the house of God amongst the people of God. Then you'll notice his deployment in verse number 9. He said, I'll sing among the nations. I'm going to go out and do the work somewhere else. And then he said, lastly, I want no distractions. My heart is fixed. And he repeats the statement. My heart is fixed. My first radio was a, my first car had an analog radio. That's going back a little ways. For you youngins that know you just turn that thing and it's got that digital dial and it rolls those numbers and you keep rolling until you get, you know, whatever you want, 107.3. 
and you're right on cue and you know you're right on station, that's a digital dial. But they used to have something called an analog. And it had a bar and you had to turn a knob and roll a little marker along that bar and listen real good to the static. And when you reached the place where you were supposed to be, it came in real clear. You'd always go by it. So you'd have to go a little bit past it, and then you'd turn back. And if you weren't real careful when you started going back, Brother Jody, you'd go by it the other way. And you'd sit there and wrestle with it back and forth, back and forth. And it'd be shh, shh. Then you'd hear the right kind of music or the night and weather forecast or whatever, and you'd go by. Finally, you get it on. All right. Now it's clear. You can hear the radio station. Not much static. And you're starting down the highway. You won't pull out of your driveway. You hit the first pothole, bump the knob, and you're out of tune again. I'll tell you, that's how some of us are. Revival comes around, and we're like, we're running through the static, and we're turning the knob, and we're trying to get on point and get tuned in to God. But if we're not real careful, we get home, and by the time we pull out of the yard, Somebody cuts you off as you turn into your, you know, your subdivision or turn up the road to go to your house. Somebody somebody do something they're not supposed to do and you bump the knob. And all you hear is the static again. There was always one remedy for that. See, it took a physical bumping of the knob. Take the knob off. Get it locked in and take off the knob. Stop letting the world distract you from being what God wants you to be. My heart is fixed. Monday night we talked about a fiery heart. But tonight we're talking about a fixed heart. We need to be unmovable in this generation. Always abounding in the things of God. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Brother David, if you'll come. used to sing, I shall not be, I shall not be moved, I shall not be, I shall not be moved, just like a tree that's planted by the waters, I shall not be moved. There's a lot of things pulling at you, from the most senior among us to the youth. There's a lot of things that are snaring you dragging at you trying to man they want to use all kinds of terminology to talk about you talk about your walk with Christ talk about loving Christ it's not just the old it's not just the young it's everybody in between life pulls at you circumstances pull at you society pulls at you somebody better see but my heart's fixed Storms may come, but my heart's fixed. Slander may come, but my heart's fixed. Snares may come, but my heart's fixed. I shall not be moved. I'm going with God. I'm going to take away the knob. I'm going to, I'm going to try to remove the things that would distract me and draw me away from the things of God so that I can shine brighter, live brighter, do more for the Master. Stand to your feet. Several already in the altar. Maybe you... I want to join them while Brother David sings to Glory, hallelujah, I shall not be moved.
planet 